Hold still. Hold still. Okay, there's a little video camera in here, so if you fall asleep, the elders will note and uh, we'll, we'll be calling you this week or over here. Uh, actually, Victoria Lee Ward called it out this, at practice time uh, this week that it looked like spy glasses or something. So anyway, um, we're not going to do that. You know that. But uh, we are in First Timothy chapter 3. And we do happen to be uh, looking at this passage about elders. Now, again, I need to say this to get started. Uh, don't check out because uh, you right now think, well, I, I'm, I'm not there. So I just get to check out here. We can't do that. This is about right now. It, it's, it is about the overall church you know, the universal church, but it's also right here, right now, about you and I here at Parkside Bible Fellowship in Fallon, America, okay? And, um, you know, we, we dealt with the passage last week about women and their place in the church. And here this morning, we want to talk about uh, elders, so there is a lot here, and I, I told the men this morning, there sure seems like uh, it could be a little mini-series that we do on this. However, uh, we're not going to uh, turn it into a mini-series, but we do want to do our best to look at this passage, First Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the author, not only of this book, but of our lives. You're our creator and our maker. And you've given these instructions through the Apostle Paul for the arrangement and the beauty and the order of your church. Please forgive us, Lord. We need your help in seeing the household of God have more order and more beauty and more arrangement, better arrangement here. Please guide us. Do your good work in us for your sake and your glory. Guide us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
I feel and think uh, it's a very humbling spot to be in when, you know, it should be all the time when opening up the Word of God, but especially in this case, in opening up this passage and having us consider it. Um, you know, uh, there's there's the tendency to think that, um, you know, every little aspect has got to be reached in perfection. And that's not what the Lord is pointing out to us. But nonetheless, there are still qualifications that need to be met. And so we look at godly leadership in God's household. God's household, the church, needs to be done in God's way. And we need to keep working at making that more effective. Um, There's plenty of times where, uh, you know, whether it's here or in other places, you can go uh, and see, oh, there's problems. And we need to shape this up. Well, it starts with leadership. Leadership. And so um, it was very encouraging to show up here yesterday to see uh, Chris receive his Eagle Award for Boy Scouts. And in that, I was very appreciative of Chris Amos coming as a special speaker and uh, sharing about leadership. And that uh, really, and we've heard this before, everyone's a leader. Everyone is a leader. But how are you leading? And now, a lot of this, obviously, as we go into the study, men, it's about us now. It's about men saying, I need to be on this pathway. I might not ever be an elder, but I need to be on this pathway of growth as a leader in my home. You might be the lowest on the totem pole at work, but you're a leader. And God has called you to grow in these ways. You say that you're a believer, then let's join together and say, let's, let's grow in these ways. Okay, so leadership in God's household. And this just carries on from chapter 2. It's not some, you know... Big U-turn now, and he's going in a different way. No, he's talking about the, the order of the church. And that ought to be a concern for you and me being saved, being a Christian. So if you're here this morning and you've come in and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, um, we're so glad that you're here. And we want to point you to the answer being Jesus Christ. He is the answer Okay? He's the, the name above all names. And you and I eventually will bow our knee and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord. Now, you can do that now by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, putting your faith in him. Or you'll do it later. And, and you know, it's out of, you know, it's too late then. But the point is, at one point or another, You'll, you'll bow the knee before God, Jesus. And we want to proclaim that message of salvation in Jesus Christ alone through faith in him. Okay? Now, our, 
our target then is to be talking about the church and order in the church. And it starts with leadership, leadership. So we want to look at, if you'll take your outline, you can follow along and it's in your bulletin there. And we look at verse one saying, here's the commendation, point number one, the commendation of elders. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is fine work he desires to do. And so the two subpoints here, it's a worthy ambition. If anyone aspires or sets his heart on, it's the idea of grasping for something. It means to stretch out for something, reach out for something and strive towards it. So, young men, I want to encourage you in that regard. Be on this track of growth in your life. And say to God, God, I, I pray that you would grow me and use me in the way you want me to be used in your church. So it is a worthy ambition. It's also, let her be a good work, something he desires. And the word is epithumeo, to have a strong desire. It's either for good or bad, and in this case, it's for good. It's a, a fine work, and that word fine is the word good or beautiful. Okay? It's a beautiful, a noble work, a noble aspiration, a desire, because in the end, it's for the glory of God. Not just to say, I, I'm a, I've got this on my resume. I, I'm an elder at the church. No, it's for God's glory. Yet, operationally speaking, it's, it's very confusing. And here's why. The reason why it's confusing is because there's a multitude of terms that end up being thrown into the big pool of, of thinking about church leaders. Bruce Stabbert, in his, uh, in his book about eldership, he, he, sa- he starts this, the winds of Christian history have heaped up a sand dune of titles for church leaders. Clergyman, minister, parson, monk, reverend, padre, the cloth, uh, pastor, curate, patriarch, preacher, cardinal, <laughs> bishop, rector, cleric, Presbytery, chaplain, all the names and titles that get thrown in. Okay? And then I even say, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, for some people that have had the upbringing in Catholicism, you know, people in the past have uh, referred to me as father (laughs) or priest. You know, they haven't said priest Woody yet, but father Woody, you know, things like that. Because there's such a wide gamut of thinking about titles of leadership within the church. I, pre- I really prefer Grandpa Woody. I really like that one, right? <laughs> no. But serious, there's problems in that thinking. Obviously, it's um, Matthew 23. Jesus says, you know, call no man rabbi. Call no man father. You know, call no man your master in that sense of master teacher. You know, so there's a reason for that. And even like with, uh, as we know, in many um, cases, we come across young men on their bicycles who are called elders. And 
there's a, there's a big gap in understanding here. You know, it's a, it's a church tradition. Or a, in this case, for LDS, it's, a, it's a, uh, just a, a traditional thing. That's what you call, you know, they're the elders. They're 18, 19, 20-year-olds. But yet that's not the issue to get after them. The issue is more about Jesus Christ and who he is rather than, well, you're not an elder. You're not even 50 years old yet. That's not the issue. But the point is, titles get thrown around. And even in in some Protestant churches, some leaders in certain denominations still use those terms, priest or father. Okay? You know, the Bible tells us clearly, there's one God and one Father of all who is over all. It's God. (laughs) It's our Father. And we can call him Father because of Jesus and the work he did at the cross. He's reconciled us to a right relationship. As children of God, we can now say, Abba, Father. Okay? We don't call any man father in that, in that title term. And, you know, even to the regular church attender and to certain seekers, it, it's confusing. And adding to the messy confusion about leadership, church leadership in our minds, a lot of us still think that there's the top dog kind of leader, the top dog, uh, the, the main man, the lone ranger. You know what? That's not supposed to be the case in the church. See, being an elder is the idea of being a, a pastor. So, yeah, me and Brennan, we're, we're pastors on staff. Bill Kristoff is a pastor. Yeah. And, you know, Lord willing, in the future, adding more men to the elder board, they're pastors. You need to understand that because the terms are interchangeable. Elder, bishop, okay, overseer means pastor. There you go. Now, there's a lot of things that come about, you know, that... um, you know, in the past, I've even said things that make it sound like, well, uh, they're my assistants. They're not my assistants. No, I'm not the top dog. I'm not the main man. I'm not the lone ranger. I don't want to be the lone ranger. There needs to be other men who are coming along, growing, and getting to the place where we can say, you know what, we want you to consider being an elder. Do you have the desire and Here's the qualifications that you have to match. It's not just merely a matter of having a good desire. It it means there's qualifications that need to be met. Okay? And so, if we... I want to say this before moving on. If we have the idea that it's about uh, the Lone Ranger, uh, main man, top dog, kind of senior pastor... And some churches do that. They have an organizational structure that starts at the top is the senior pastor underneath associates. And somewhere along the line is the deacons or the trustees or all the, that order, that pyramid of leadership. That's a wrong uh, visual for us. You start at the top of an organizational structure with the church. You start with one individual. And it's not me. It's Jesus Christ. And the more that we can learn that and grow, 
in that way to demonstrate that, the better. And along the line come godly men who, yes, they have a desire, but also there's, there's a, a qualifying issue, and that's what we're looking at here today. And so the missing ingredient in many churches is the plurality of elders. You need the plurality of elders. And if that's not there, something's missing. So just remember now, desire alone is not enough. So we go to point number two, the qualifications of elders. The qualifications of elders. Okay? And all too often, the qualifications that are listed in the scripture gets ignored. You know, when we can, we can rationalize thinking, well, so-and-so, they're really um, successful in business as a leader. And so we grab a hold of them and put them in as an elder. And everyone looks at it on the surface and says, wow, that's a great selection, great choice. But it doesn't line up with qualifications necessarily. And so it's important that we connect this. Say, here's the desire and here are the qualifications. So we start with letter A, personal integrity. That's where it starts. Personal integrity. You know, you hear, uh, maybe it's not said directly, but here yesterday, the issue of character came up, you know, with Chris and his Eagle Scout Award. You know, not just doing all the things of, uh, you know, all the things that he's got to do to, you know, activity-wise and event-wise and project-wise, but it's a matter of, you know, commitment to things too. And that's the idea here, personal integrity. And he says in verse 2, look at that, an overseer then must be above reproach, must be above reproach. Above reproach is the overarching, all-embracing qualification, means that he's free from any offensive, disgraceful uh, mark on his, uh, on his conduct, on his character. And that the idea is that he's, he can't be taken hold of is the, the, uh, one of the meanings that you'll see is you, if you were to look that word up and that term up. See, he, he cannot be taken hold of and say, oh, look at what you did, kind of accusation-wise. Okay. It says that, you know, his critics cannot discredit his uh, Christian profession of faith or prove him to be unfit for leading others. So above reproach is, is there for a reason. It kind of starts things off. Here's, here it is. Personal integrity. And it's, I want to combine this now to say, not just here at verse 2, and now we'll go to the next point, next point, next point, but look at verse 7. It's also a matter with not just those believers within the church, but also those who are outside the church. He needs to have a good character there, a good reputation, if you will. He has a clean, moral, spiritual reputation. And character uh, is, again, far and away the most vital part of leadership. Okay? And by the way, all God's children are called to this very thing, not just leaders. Philippians 2, verse 15. You, no matter where you're at in your life, you are called to live a holy and blameless life in the power of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, character. Um, Regarding uh, believers, you know, being able to see how they are, um, see how the leaders are with their, their family. That's one of the first things he brings about. 
How are you with your children? That's an important issue because that's how he connects it to say, if this is the way you are with children, this is the way you are with the church, with the body of believers. Then with a, a, amongst outsiders in verse 7, it's saying, you know, what do, what do local business people think about you? What do they say about your re- reputation? How about co-workers? How do they view you? That's critical. You can't just say, oh, they're, they're not believers, so they don't really count. Yes, they count. They've got eyes. They've got ears. They're, they're taking in, uh, you know, what they see. Are you punching out early and acting like, you know, you, you spent the whole day working? Those, those little issues add up in the minds of the unbelievers. It's about reputation, right? So leaders need to have, they must have, not need to, they must have a credible witness inside and outside. So right away, you know, in my mind, that's like, you know, that gets kind of intimidating. If that's what your focus is. But your focus shouldn't be that as much as your focus is on Jesus, right? Focus is on Jesus. All right, letter B. You go from personal integrity to relational fidelity. Relational fidelity, relational faithfulness. Okay? uh, Overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Okay? So what's really going on here? Is this the focus about marriage? Let me ask this. Who's writing this letter? Paul. Who's receiving the letter? Timothy. Is Paul married? Uh, As far as we can say, no, Paul's not married. Is Timothy married? As far as we can say, no. We don't have any real detail of their, um, other than the fact that Paul says, you know, I know of your grandmother and your mother, they passed on here, but neither of them were married as far as we can tell. So that's why instead of saying marital fidelity, we say relational fidelity, okay? I agree with what uh, the MacArthur Bible study, or the study notes say there in the MacArthur uh, Study Bible. It says it's not an issue of marital status that he's focusing in on. What's he, so what's he focusing in on? It's about m- their moral and sexual lives, how are they morally and sexually? Okay. So Paul mentions it due to its importance. Why? Because this is where men fall so easily. Okay. Getting tempted. Uh, uh, whether it's, you know, here's uh, a woman that they are attracted to. Uh, here's uh, issues of, you know, um, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, all, all this stuff, and things of, you know, here's pornography, all sorts of issues that connect with this idea of where is a man morally and sexually? And we, so because we've understood this to mean it's not about, well, you've got to be married to be an elder. Many of the men that were there obviously were married. And thus the same thing with the idea of children. Well, do I have to have children? What if I can't have children? My wife can't, you know, bear children. 
What then? Well, no, you're not an elder. Well, is that? No, it's not saying, you know, there's where the must is. You must have children. You must be married. It's saying here's, here's, you know, the issue typically is how are you just in a general sense, relationally speaking, and that is uh, concern. So the key then, what's the key? The key is be a one woman man. And that's the literal interpretation there. Be a, a one woman man. Notice it's not be a one man woman. Okay? We talked about that a little bit last week. Okay? Um, if any one aspires to the office, he, you know, he's, he, the office of an elder, overseer, pastor, it's a fine work he desires to do. He's got to be, if he's married, then the husband of one wife. Okay? So the idea behind this man then is that he's totally devoted. That's the idea. He's totally devoted to this one woman. And then, yes, a lot of issues come up about, well, what about this? And what about uh, divorce and remarriage? Well, that's a difficult one. You know, we would typically say, well, the pattern is given. The idea is not that you would be put on as an elder having been divorced if you're a believer. Some have been, you know, that, you know they, uh, before they came to faith in Christ, there's divorce and remarriage. We'd say, well, he's now a new creature. Old things have passed away. Well, and it's still, you know, even there's some who would argue the point of saying, well, um, old things have passed away. I was divorced when I was a believer. And now I'm remarried. What about, you know, some places, some believe that, well, are you a one woman man? Are things forgiven? You know, and so this is a complicated side of this um, discussion, of this study. And, uh, you know, we, we typically, you know, in the time that I've been here, we've not had someone who's been an elder, who's been divorced and remarried. The issue is one that does need to have uh, being ironed out and studied by the elders. What, what do we say when it comes to that? And so um, it's, a, it's a great challenge. Some, because here's, here's men, you know, who are, are they, they qualify to be an elder, let's say. And because of maybe something happened 20 years ago, we're saying, well, that's, that's not, you, you can't be one. So opposed to that, let me stay, stay with me. Opposed to that idea, well, that happened a long time ago, and now he's, he's right with the Lord, and he's uh, devoted to his wife. Well, on the other side of it is the issue of a pattern. You know, the pattern that's given by men, no, is this something that's acceptable? Is this something that we we uh, approve of? So, I I say those things because we recognize the the complexity of this issue. So, comes down to uh, being a one woman man, and what kind of leader God wants in His church are those who are absolutely devoted to their wife. And even 
the broader statement, those who are morally and sexually above reproach, because that's what we started with, being above reproach. And here's the example of it in marriage. And should there be children, as we'll see, he manages or rules his home well. Okay? Right. Let's move on. Letter C. Emotional maturity. Emotional maturity. Your relationship to the Lord Jesus. That's really where it comes from. Emotional maturity. When you come to faith in Christ, uh, there's the, the sense that things settle down uh, more because you're not run so much by your feelings. You're now realizing my life is about faith in Christ. Faith in, here's, here's the word of God, and I read it and I believe it. And so it's not a matter of being run so much by feelings. Yes, we have feelings, and yet you want to get that settled down so that you're walking and living by faith, not feelings. So in regards to your relationship to the Lord, obviously we all figure, well, of course. And a man that's being considered as an elder of the church is a believer. Right? Yeah. And yet some churches have, you know, put a, a man in to the office of elder and not really even vetted him, if you will, talked with him. They just figure, well, he's successful in business. Let's get him in. And some of you might think, that's stretching it. That's exaggeration. No, that's not. Some churches are that in that mindset. They just figure, hey, you know, you're really successful out in the world. Come on in and, you know, help lead us here. Okay, so everything starts there. And he says in verse 6, not a new convert, right? That's relating to your relationship with the Lord. Not a new convert. Why? He's easily caught with pride, easily prone to pride, which shows the immaturity there. He needs time to grow in his faith, lest he become, what does it say there in verse 6? Conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. So there needs to be really a show of ongoing hunger and uh, uh, ongoing hunger for his word and the humility of his heart and attitude of humility. So that's a, a critical aspect of this. Starts with your relationship to the Lord. Uh, the next point there under letter 2C is your reaction, your reaction to difficult situations. And this is another area that he then uh, discusses and, and talks about. And back to verse 2. He says, the husband of one wife, and then he goes in this list, temperate, okay? Temperate is the idea of sober-minded. The man is sober-minded. He's got a balanced judgment. He's free from the uh, rash actions or reactions to things. Uh, Prudent, the next one, he's self-controlled, meaning that he's sensible. He's got discretion. He's self-governed, respectable. Others will respect him. And that's the same word, respectable, as you find in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, of being, you know, having uh, modestly and discreetly that idea of being well-behaved. So um, an elder has, a, um, you know, the reaction to difficult situations. That's a concern. Why? Well, elders have meetings and, and you know, 
times of talking to people where it's not just all wonderful, oh, praise the Lord, you know, discussions. Sometimes it gets very difficult. And so the elders need to have a reaction to difficult situations that shows this temperate, prudent, respectable. Okay? Then the next one, your response toward other people. An elder's response toward other people. You see it with the term hospitable. See it in verse 2, hospitable. Okay? Um, the idea of welcoming. You know, back in that day, uh, most of us understand there's no uh, Best Western just to say, hey, you know, there's a Best Western down the corner. No. Um, so there's much more of an issue of uh, someone's traveling through, uh, come on to my place. And here it still uh, relates, you know, and still is important so that the elder shows here's a, an open heart because he's got an open home. Okay? Openness. Uh, it's the term love of strangers. He's sharing his life in his home. He's ready to help. It's a, it was the expression of Christian love in family life, especially, you know, in those, in those days. And along with that, being hospitable, being welcoming and opening. Um, he's not pugnacious. Verse 3, look at it. It says that he's not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle. Those two go together. Not pugnacious, but gentle. Not given to anger. He's not a bad-tempered person. Um, he's not ready for, a, you know, the big blow uh, kind of thing. In some versions, it says he's not a striker, not violent. Doesn't have those tendencies. And then it goes on to say, but gentle, kind, and forbearing. It stands in contrast to that person who is pugnacious or prone to anger. And then not quarrelsome. Here's another one that goes along with being gentle. Not quarrelsome. He's, he's peaceable. Not, uh, some versions give us uncontentious. God hates division in the body. Right? And 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about that. You know, fighting amongst God's children is not a good thing, you know. So the leaders provide an example to follow. Not pugnacious, but gentle, not quarrelsome. And then the next and last point on, under letter C is your resistance to temptation. Your resistance to temptations. Okay, now go back and look at um, verse 3. He's saying, not addicted to wine. Now, uh, because of our day and age, uh, we're going to freely add in something here. Not addicted to wine, not addicted to substance, not addicted to drugs, prescription drugs, whatever. You know, not addicted to those things. Okay? And then not given to anger just kind of what we related to her just moments ago. And then also not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. It, you see there, at, he's uh, in verse 3, free from the love of money. Those are the things that a man has to be alert to and resist the temptations of. Not addicted to wine, drugs or substance. He's not preoccupied or overindulgent with the, the issue of wine. Is there something wrong with a glass of wine? No, there's not. Um, but yet, 
in our day and age, there's such an issue of uh, association. If uh, yours truly sits down at a restaurant and I ask for a glass of wine, um, it might not bother my wife or my company. But what happens if a young believer walks by and sees me with that one glass of wine? What's happening now? It can be rationalization time. Well, the pastor does it. Why can't I? Well, yeah, maybe. But if he's a new believer and he's just gotten saved out of being an alcoholic, don't go there, right? It's a stumbling block. And that's the issue behind being an elder. Okay? You want to demonstrate a godliness, a godly pattern in life. Okay? So... The issue of all these resistance to temptation, you know, um, addicted to wine or given to anger or a love for money, greedy for money, all those things delude one's judgment, even in the best of men. Okay? So, this comes with emotional maturity, your relationship to the Lord. You're not a new convert your reaction to difficult situations, your response towards other people, your resistance to temptation, that all matters, okay? That all matters. And if your leaders are, you know, following that track, excellent. We think we are. (laughs) And we want to add more to the elder board. And so as you think about that and pray for the church in that way that more elders and deacons would come along, pray that, you know, these would be men who have here these qualifications. It's not just the desire. It's here's the qualification. Now, we wrap it up with letter D. It's spiritual authority. It's supposed to come forth with spiritual authority so that when whoever, whatever elder might speak or counsel or connect with people, there's authority behind that. And it relates, again, Paul relates it to home. You go watch someone as how they handle things at home. Then, you know, here's, here's an interesting revelation, if you will. Okay? He's got to know how to manage his own household. He's got to be responsible at home. And so many of us figure, well, nobody's watching. It doesn't matter. And I'm tired of handling this stuff. And so, and the kids, you know... Get away with all sorts of stuff. Because I'm tired. None of you have ever experienced that, right? (laughs) You get worn out. And yet, leadership says, come on, don't give up. You keep going. Stand up and do the right thing and have your kids learn to do the right thing. Because what happens, you know, 30 years later? Your children are going to be in that spot and they're going to think back to, here's example, here's things like that. Ah, Go ahead and do what you want to do. You you follow me? There's concern there as to how someone manages his household. So if he doesn't know how to manage his own household, how is the question in verse 5, how is he going to do in the church of God? So real spiritual authority is shown in the way they operate at home. 
Okay? So, in some, you know, looking at verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Now, let, let me say this, just so you know, I, it's important you understand that that verse, verse 4, is talking about your children as they're at home. This week, I'm not going to track my son, Sam, in the sense of how he, how's he doing? Better, you know, you do what your dad says kind of thing. Good grief, he's 33 years old. See? So it's what's happening when the children are at home. Okay? Now, yes, I still want to find out how my kids are doing, but not in the sense as it was back then. Now, Sam, sit down and be quiet. Right? You get that. So, under spiritual authority, point D, under two, it's not as a dictator. It's not as a dictator. Now, some of you think, oh, well, yeah, we don't have a dictator at all. But there's churches that do. They, there's churches that have dictators in, 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 the, in the authority place, in the leadership place. It's not, you know, it was never intended. Leadership was never intended to be high-minded, high-handed rulership. Jesus was very clear about this topic. Mark chapter 10. Let's turn there so that you see it. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 42. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If you're taking notes, also Mark chapter 10, verse 33 through 35 says something similar there. So it's not as a dictator, but it is as a caretaker. You're like a steward waiting for the master to return. So it says Peter talks about in 1 Peter, write it down, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 3. You're not to lord it over. As elders, don't lord it over. But serve. Okay? So it's a matter. Now it, he brings in this idea of shepherding, taking care and feeding the sheep till Christ returns. And that's where we remind ourselves about able to teach. Why? Because we're supposed to bring everyone back to the word of God. Here it is. Here's what God says. That's feeding the sheep. We want to guard the sheep with the word of God also. Saying, hey, don't you, and I've said this before, don't be caught up listening to all the TV preachers. Don't go there. It's shaky ground. It's false teaching in most cases. Okay? Books at the Christian bookstore, uh, things online that are labeled as Christian. Beware. Watch out. Why? It's so easy to mislead. It's very easy. Be careful in that way. So that's what it goes from. Not being a dictator, but uh, as a caretaker. And then thirdly, underneath letter D, on a vigilant watch. On a vigilant watch. The caretaker, the under shepherd of the church needs, you know, we, we need to be on a vigilant watch. 
Why? Look at verse 6 and 7 back in, in 1 Timothy. Chapter 3, 6 and 7. He says, not a new convert that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. So that, look at that, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Do you think that the devil wants to see leadership get tripped up? Well, some of you are, yeah. Well, we need to understand that. Satan, if, if Satan wanted to mess up a church or his demons, that, that's one of the first ways to... That's one of the first ways to trip it up, go after leadership. Now, if you've been around for any length of time in life, you've seen that report. You've seen plenty of reports. The pastor having an affair with so-and-so. And then he leaves that church and goes to another church. What? There's a double problem there. He's having an affair, but then he goes to another church. That shouldn't be happening. And so there's, there's, there is great cause, my friend, for us to be on the alert. And the elders need to lead the way in that and show an example in that. Be watching. Okay? All of these then show us what God is looking for in those who lead. And it's not in a matter of perfection. If, if that's the case, then I have st- I've stayed way too long here. Because I'm not, I'm not matching everything at a, at a score of 10, a perfect 10 across the board. I, I don't. And I don't think the others do either. All right? <laughs> but what's the, what's the key? Do I just say, oh, well, I don't, I don't match up. Bill, oh, Bill doesn't match up. Oh, Brennan, Brennan doesn't match up. Too bad. Start all over. What do we need to do? Pressing on. What's important? Elders uh, evaluating themselves, talking, saying, hey, you know, especially here on a Sunday, if I say something, I need, you know, my brothers, you know, on the elder board to call me down on the mat and say, hey, that shouldn't have been taught. That, That was wrong. And so there needs to be an ongoing pursuit of godliness from the elders. Why? That's the model to follow. So all of you younger men, especially you younger men, pursue that in your life. To become an elder? No. Not to become an elder necessarily, but to be godly and to show, here's, here's what our, our love for Christ is all about. This is it. It's about loving Christ and, and lifting up him through his means, the local church, God's household. Okay? So elders are men who are qualified. They have a desire, but they're qualified. They're mature in their faith. They are men who will and can protect the flock, feed the flock, lead the flock, and care for the flock. And yes, there's ways that we need to grow. We must... uh, do things better. So the qualifications call for self-examination by the elders. 
and it calls for examination on your part, male or female. Why? Because so much of this is just general things about growing in the Christian life. It reveals the path of maturity for all of us. Okay? And we, speaking on behalf of the elders, we want to be continued to be held up in prayer. We are doing better at communicating what's going on. We need to keep doing that and keep communicating what's going on so that you as the believers here that make up Parkside Bible Fellowship, that you are alert and aware and praying for the the needs of what's going on. And yes, we need, uh, this is a a quandary um, to say, well, yeah, we need more elders. And somebody said, well, why don't you just, you know, get more elders? Well, I think if you've paid attention here to what we talked about, it's just not an easy snap kind of a thing to say, hey, you're an elder now. It's an ongoing process of being, you know, looking out amongst the, the folks. And if you say, hey, I, I, I have somebody in mind, well, let us know. But that means that we've got to go into the process of not just determining their desire, but here's the qualifications issue that we've seen here. And there's a reason behind it all. It's for God's glory, okay? So that you can see Christ in me, Christ in Brennan, Christ in Bill, and whatever future elders come along to lead and not be ashamed and not be afraid. So uh, there's a lot to this subject. If you have other questions, I don't want to just say, okay, we're done and we're moving on. If you have questions about this issue about elders, things that I've said in the message, I am open to your uh, visiting me, calling me, okay? I love that. Be able to talk more about it, okay? Let's pray together. Thank you, dear Lord. We praise you for your word. We praise you for your plan, your design. Lord, we want to do our best to be tracking with that and obeying you in it. Lord, we have men who desire the office of an elder. And I pray that you would lead and guide in that regards. I pray for our young men that they would not just push it aside, but they would want to draw near to you and recognize that as they draw near to you, they want to be uh, growing in, in these areas. They want to be men who are led by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Lord, do your good work here in our midst and may we uh, be a, a place where Christ is lifted up, where your word is honored. We've got a lot of growing to do. Please help me in this way, Lord. Help each one of us in pulling in the same direction and honoring you in your household. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.